Good afternoon, Hillside. Uh, it's my privilege to be able to bring the Word of God today. Uh, I'm very excited. It's my first time speaking at Hillside Campus. Thank you. It's my first time speaking here, and uh, it's a very special moment for me because I've been an intern pastor here for about two and a half, going on three years, and I, this is my first time getting to speak at the campus that I worship at. And so a special moment for me, I'm originally from Seattle, Washington. And uh, one surprising fact about me is that you guys may not know, even people that do know me, they sometimes get shocked, is that I am not Korean. <laughs> yeah, see? Look at all those gas. I am Chinese. I grew up in a Chinese home. I grew up with Chinese parents. I spoke Chinese and I ate Chinese food. <laughs> I am Chinese. Okay, but there's one thing that whether you're Chinese or not, whatever ethnicity that you are, that we all grew up with. And that is parental expectations. Hmm. I mean, how many of you have heard uh, come out of your parents' mouth, you know, just a suggestion? You know, have you ever thought about becoming a doctor? Or a lawyer, or if you're of Asian descent, for sure, what, what is it, a uh, pharmacist? If you can't be a doctor, maybe you should be a pharmacist. Yeah. It's, it's a suggestion that a lot of uh, Asian parents make, but also people that aren't Asian as well. It's a parental expectations. You know, I myself, I didn't grow up in a strict family. My mom, in fact, when I would come home, my mom would be like, oh, why are you home so early, huh? She's like, go out and play. You only live once. She's like, why are you studying so much? Stop studying. Don't stress yourself out. But even with parents like that, I still kind of had this idea that a good son, a good daughter, is someone who is successful. A good son is someone who can become, say, a doctor. You know, even if your parents didn't say something like that, you still know. I remember when I was four or five, I already knew. People ask me, what do you want to become? And I said, a doctor. Why? Do you guys remember that one game called Operations? It's, it's like this body on this game board, and then it's kind of a motor skill game. So you have to take tweezers, and then you try to take out ailments out of this body, and his name is called Circuit Sam. And then if you put your tweezers in, and then you try to take it out, if you hit the edge of the cavity, Circuit Sam's nose goes beep, 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 and that means you failed. But if you're able to successfully take out this ailment out of this cavity, what happens? You get paid. You get a payment. And the payment ranged from 100 to a grand. You know, as a little girl growing up in the early 90s, $100 was a lot of money. So I knew a good son, good daughter is someone that potentially could become a doctor. A good son... A good donor is someone who can become a doctor. And so today, my message for you is actually to come into agreement with our parents. Because I believe that this expectation of how to be a good son, become a doctor, could and should be a sanctified, keyword sanctified, expectation upheld in the church. Okay, let me explain. If you guys could turn in your Bibles with me to Luke 5, verses 27 to 32. 
Luke 5, 27 to 32. Luke 5, 27 to 32. I'm going to actually start reading, and I want you guys to chime in with me at verse 31. I'll give you a little hint to when to start, okay? So starting from verse 27, after this, he, Jesus, went out and saw a tax, tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me, 28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at a table with him. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Verse 31, read with me. And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, verse 31 here, I think in the NIV, it's actually more, the grammar of it is, makes it easier for us to understand what Jesus is saying. In the NIV, we just read the ESV. In the NIV, it says, and Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Now, this verse is actually the identical uh, word-for-word quote of Jesus is also found in Matthew and Mark. It's found in Matthew 9.12, and it's found in Mark 2.17. What does this tell us? All three gospel writers quoted it word-for-word out of Jesus' mouth. This means this is an important teaching that needs to go out to the church. Why did I choose Luke? Because it's about sick people. We we might as well ask a physician. Luke, in Colossians 14, 4, it says that he, the apostle Paul calls him Luke, my beloved physician. If we have a question about sick people, we might as well ask a doctor, right? If you have a virus in your computer, you don't go to your mom, you go to a computer engineer. And so that's the reason why I chose it. Um, So what's going on in this passage? Okay, we can ask Luke. What, is, what does Jesus mean when he says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick? What is going on in this passage? So what happens is Jesus, he sees a tax collector. Okay, tax collectors back then, they're known as the scum of the earth. They're known for all the sins that they do, and especially Jews, they don't want to associate with them. They're seen as unclean. And so Jesus, he sees this tax collector named Levi, which is actually just Hebrew for Matthew. So actually, the tax collector we're talking about is actually the gospel writer, the first gospel writer in the book of Matthew, if you didn't know that. We'll call him Levi, though, because that's what Luke calls him. And he says, Levi, he sees him in the tax booth, and he says, hey, come follow me. And then what? Levi, he drops everything, and then he follows Jesus. Why? I don't know. I mean, he's in his tax booth. That's where people... Most don't want to associate with tax collectors. For sure, he's a tax collector, right? He's in his tax booth. But still, Jesus goes and says, hey, you, come follow me. That's special. That's privilege. I would drop everything and go for it too. I wonder what this Jesus has to offer me. And so he goes, and what happens is um, he follows Jesus. He drops everything, and it's a celebratory matter. 
And so he has this huge dinner at his house, with, and he invites all his tax collector friends, all his sinner friends, and he invites Jesus. Why? I don't know. I mean, if I think about it, I, would, I think I would do the same thing, right? Someone accepts me. He's really cool. He's a cool Jew. You know, he likes me. And I have all these friends that are just like me. I want to introduce them to him. You know, if you're a girl, you know when you meet that really awesome guy, and you just want all your girlfriends to meet him. It's kind of like that. You guys feel me? (laughs) And so he invites Jesus and all his tax collector friends. And then what happens? The Pharisees and the scribes, in verse 30, they come and they don't like this. And so they ask Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you sitting with all these tax collectors and all these sinners? And then what was Jesus' response? He said, with the amazing analogy, he said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I've come to bring sinners to repentance and not those who are righteous. See, a lot of us, after reading this verse, immediately we think, duh, all the Pharisees, Sadducees, all those who don't see, okay, they should know this by this analogy alone. It's simple. It's the sick who need a doctor, not those who are healthy. But today, I don't want to stop right there. I don't want to just stop with that conclusion that, okay, we got to dwell with the sinners. But I want to actually make a very important observation in regards to this analogy. See, Jesus says, just like the, it's the sick who need a doctor, okay, sinners need Jesus. Who is Jesus likening himself to in this analogy? A doctor. If Jesus is likening himself to a doctor, and in the word it says that we are to be like Jesus, okay, 1 John 26, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, then the logical conclusion is, We also are to live as if we were physicians. How to be a good son? How to be a good daughter? Be a doctor. (laughs) Told you I would explain. Now, before I continue with my message, I want to give a quick disclaimer. Okay, this message is not to discredit doctors. If we have any doctors in the house... I'm not discrediting doctors. In fact, I believe that whether a doctor is a believer or not, they are still servants of life. And they have a healing anointing, don't they? Have you ever been so sick? And then you go into the doctor and all they do is tap your knee, stick a popsicle stick in your mouth, shine some light in your eyes and tell you to look left, right? And then for some reason, you just feel better. You know what I mean? Because I went to the doctor, I just feel better. Doctors, they have a healing anointing. But what I'm trying to say today is that there is a healing anointing that only comes through Jesus. There's a healing anointing that only comes through Jesus. Uh, Before I came actually to this, before I came to Korea, I was attending a Thai church. And the pastor of that Thai church was actually also a full-time neurosurgeon. 
And so one day when he was preaching, he shared this one story, this testimony from the past weekend. And he said that he had to operate on this lady who had a brain tumor. But the day before her surgery, she all of a sudden fell while she was gardening. And all of a sudden, she was rushed into the hospital room and the emergency room. And then he was called in a day earlier to take out the tumor. But while he was close, the tumor was successfully removed. While he was closing up her brain, the Holy Spirit told him, hey, open up her brain, go down a little bit deeper, turn left, open up, sorry, I don't know the terms. <laughs> it wasn't open the flap, but I'm just going to say that. <laughs> open the flap. And then everyone around him was, no, he's not. This guy is crazy. But it's his practice. He does what he wants. And so crazy enough, he didn't want to o- disobey God's voice. He reopens this lady's brain, goes down a little deeper, turns left, opens up the flap. <laughs> I hope he doesn't hear this. And there was a tumor behind that was the size of a tennis ball, bigger than the tumor that he removed. See, he said that if he wanted to close that brain, the, when the lady woke up, she would have been paralyzed. See, there's a healing anointing that only comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. You guys know it. There's testimonies time and time again where people say, I went to the doctor. They just couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. But then someone prayed for me and I was healed. Right? See, I always wanted to be a doctor. I did. That was one of my childhood dreams. Not just because they make a lot of money. Right? My mom always told me, you should marry one. (laughs) Then then I don't have to fund you through med school. (laughs) But I did. I always wanted to be a doctor. Um... You know, they do, they do work that's very worthwhile. They're saving lives. It's pretty cool. But just to share a very, very short version of my testimony quickly with you is I did start off on the pre-med track, but uh, another huge um, passion of mine is fashion design. And so my mom encouraged me, hey, you love this so much, you should try everything out. You know, and so she's like, go for it. Go for fashion design. Take a break. And so I stopped out, and I went to New York City and enrolled in Parsons School of Design and decided to start pursuing fashion design momentarily. And so while I was in New York City, that's actually where I met God. Okay, and what happened was when I was crossing the street, I actually got hit by a taxi cab as a pedestrian. And I was, I was uh, walking across the street, and I got hit right here. And I, my body flew up, and my head smashed into the windshield. And I actually flew off and landed about 20 feet away from the accident. And it was actually in that moment that Jesus, I heard his audible voice and his holy presence upon me. And so till this day, when people ask me, hey, how'd you get saved? I always tell them, uh, Jesus actually introduced himself to me. But that's not the point of why I'm sharing this. I want to actually tell you guys about the post-accident time. And so what happened was I ended up getting uh, brought into a hospital, and it was the worst experience of my life. I don't know if it's because it was in New York. (laughs) New York hospitals. I don't know, okay? But the people were so mean, and they they just didn't care about me. Example, they put an IV into my arm for anti-seizure because I was having seizures. And I was allergic to the anti-seizure medication. So my arm started swelling up. I started hallucinating. I remember screaming to the top of my lungs. No one came. I'm in the trauma ward. 
this is when they're supposed to be very, very attentive. And luckily, God had sent my sister to visit me at that time. She heard me all the way across down the hall, and she's like, why aren't you guys treating my sister? You know, and one more story. To, I, so I have, a lot, I have a lot of healing that I still need to extend, forgiveness to extend towards doctors. So me honoring doctors with this message is big, Okay. <laughs> But I got brought into a hospital room when everything died down. And then, of course, the doctor, he makes his two-minute runs to come see you. You know, he don't care about you. But he wants to come in, see how you're doing. And then he came, and I kept telling my sister I had some hearing loss. And so I kept telling my sister, you know, something's wrong, something's wrong. And she goes, oh, really? Okay, I'll talk to the doctor when he comes in. And so the doctor comes in, and then my sister goes, hey, my sister says something's wrong with her ear. And, and he goes, oh, really? Listen to this. He goes, maybe earwax? I was mentally ill, and I was still like, are you dumb? Get me out of this hospital. And so what happened was because of that terrible experience, I made the conclusion that all the doctors that I did, there's good doctors out there, all the doctors that treated me were in it for the money. Because if they really wanted to be in it to save lives, they would have connected with me. They would have caught just little details that I have hearing loss. You know what I mean? And so what happened was I went home and I decided, you know what, I'm not going to, if I checked my heart, if I even had a little bit of wanting to become a doctor because of money, I was not willing to put people's lives in danger for my own desire to make money. And so what happened was I had a complete career change and just went after something else. Now, the reason why I bring the, up this story is just last year at our leadership retreat, okay, I always still kind of had this lingering desire. I want to be a doctor. You know, and last, last year at our leadership retreat, we had, I was conducting my healing and deliverance sessions. Healing and deliverance is a ministry we have here at this church where um, basically we lead people through past hurts, past pains, invite Jesus into it, hopefully to restore them and bring healing to them. And uh, I was conducting a few healing and deliverance sessions and I had an amazing group of girls. One of them was actually Susie M, who's on our praise team. And I remember when she received healing and deliverance and she was free from all the bondage and shackles, she kept calling me doctor. She was like, thanks, doc. Oh, my gosh. Thank you, doc. I don't know if it had something to do with me because I still have this dream. So I had her, like, H&D question, and I put it on a, you know, back, and I was like, mm-hmm, and how long have you been experiencing this? I'm like, hmm, hmm. I don't know if it came from that, but anyways, they started calling me doc, doc, doc throughout the whole entire retreat. And that night, God spoke to me. He goes, hey, Em, remember that dream you had to become a doctor? And I said, "Uh uh-huh. And he goes, I'm so proud of you. I go, what do you mean? And he goes, not only are you saving lives to give them life, but you're saving lives to give them life eternal. (laughs) See? We are called to be physicians. Jesus explains to the Pharisees why he reclines with sinners. But this is not just a call for us to dwell with the sick, but we are to dwell with the sick knowing our identity as physicians. You know, there's a metaphor for the church, and it's a hospital. It's where doctors work, right? 
What good is a church that's a hospital if it doesn't have physicians? See, one thing about that analogy, that, I re- that metaphor that I didn't like was that it just sounded like a house full of sick people. But that's not true because patients don't go to a house. Patients don't go to a hospital unless there's doctors there. And they will more will go to a hospital when there are the presence of renowned doctors carrying the Isaiah 61 anointing. This is Isaiah 61 anointing house, isn't it? We are here to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. That's the anointing that the physicians of God are supposed to carry. And that's what brings in the patients. That's what brings in those who are sick to be healed. I believe that at this hour, Jesus is calling forth his physicians to rise up and heal the sick. This is what makes this analogy so powerful, not just then, but also now. Just like Jesus wasn't the only physician in his day, people in Acts 5, people ran just to be in Peter's shadow. Sick people ran just to be in Peter's shadow so that they could get healed. Jesus wasn't the only physician. He's the ultimate physician, but he wasn't the only physician during his day. And that's the same for today. So how can we be better physicians? Hmm? How can we be better physicians? I'm going to offer you three forms of advice. Okay? The first... Step out in faith. Practice your gift. See, you don't become a doctor overnight. You know, they go to school 11 to 15 years after high school. They have to get their bachelor's. Most doctors, they spend about a year to study for the MCATs. And then they have to go to medical school. They have to get into medical school first, medical school. And then after that, they have what is called a residency three to five years of actually putting what they've learned, their healing anointing, into practice. Just like doctors have to practice in order to heal, the people of God, we need to exercise our faith in healing in order to heal. See, Jesus, he went around healing all sickness, all diseases. Our faith In him is what helps us to bring healing to others. You know, doctors, they have a a, a fear sometimes. They have a fear of malpractice, especially beginning doctors. That's why they spend thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on malpractice insurance. But you know what? The people of God, we don't have that fear. Why? Because the salvation work is complete. It's already done. It's already been done for us on the cross. Our, we have no fear because it doesn't rest on man. It doesn't rest on man, but it's on Jesus. You guys feel me with that? See, just when people go into medical school, when they enter or when they come out, they have to take an oath. And this oath is actually an oath, it's a long oath, but basically it's saying every decision that I make is going to be to save lives. And just like doctors that go into med school, when we entered into the kingdom, we made an oath that we are to go to the ends of the earth to save lives. What does that mean for us? That means wherever we go, 
whatever we're doing, we are to practice. We are to step out in faith. It doesn't matter where you are. The hospital is not only the church. You don't save lives only in the church. Being a doctor is a 24-7 job. You guys remember Dr. Kirby, right? You know, at this past retreat, I bet you guys don't even know, but for the four-day retreat, I had the worst toothache in the world. Okay, I couldn't sleep at night. All my roommates probably knew that, but I knew he was a dentist. Okay. And so, you know, he's, he's there to minister. He's there to preach. He's our guest speaker. But all I'm thinking is he could cure my toothache. <laughs> and, and I, you know, I waited until the third day, but finally I was like, I'm in so much pain. I'm so worried. You know, it's a holiday Buddha's birthday. So no dentists are open around. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to take a risk. And I kind of stalked him while he was eating. And then when he finished, I go, I swoop and I go, hey, Dr. Kirby, I'll take your tray for you. And uh, he goes, oh, thank you. I'm like, hi, my name is Emily. I'm on staff. And he goes, oh, nice to meet you. And I go, I'm really sorry. But I know you're not working right now. But I have a really bad toothache. Can I just, he's like, oh, you know, I don't have the equipment. I can't diagnose you. But if you tell me some of your symptoms. So I started telling him. And he goes, it sounds like a gum issue. And I said, oh, okay. So if I don't go to the dentist until two days later, will I be okay? And he goes, oh, yeah, you're going to be fine. Don't worry. Immediately, I still felt the same amount of pain. But immediately, I was like, I feel better. (laughs) That anointing of spirit-filled doctors. You know what I mean? He was even wrong. When I got there, it was actually a root canal. But it doesn't matter because it's the anointing that you carry, you know? But you know what? Dr. Kirby's hospital was not in his practice. It was not back at his home. It was in a church retreat cafeteria. Hmm. You know, how many of you guys have called a friend just because they're a doctor in the middle of the night? Because something's wrong with you. Or you know your parents know of a doctor and you're not feeling well and they call them early, early in the morning? Being a doctor is a 24-7 job. Um, I remember being on a plane to Las Vegas with my parents. And uh, what happened was when we first boarded, all of a sudden, this guy, he gets a heart attack. And this was when in my crazy days, when I first started seeing healing through my hands. And so I was sitting there like all antsy, like, I can heal him. (laughs) I can do it. But I'm like battling in my brain, oh, they're going to think I'm crazy. What if they, like, the stewardess pin me down and call me crazy, you know? Take me and my parents. My parents are there too. If I was alone, maybe. But the whole time I was like, I know if I were to lay hands on him, he would be healed. Because what happened was they called 911. They called for an ambulance to come. But for some reason, the ambulance was taking 30 minutes. 30 minutes had passed and no one had come. And so I was sitting there, I was like, I know I can heal him. I know I can heal him. And then right when, I remember right when I was about to stand up and be like, (laughs) ma'am. That you hear the intercom and the lady goes, excuse me, but do we have any physicians aboard? And this one guy like near me stands, he goes, I'm a physician. And then he went and I was like, okay, as long as one doctor gets in, you know. But being a 20, but being a doctor is a 24-7 job. Even when you're on vacation, going someplace. You're still called to practice. And that's the same for us as believers. 
Good doctors don't reject patients based on convenience. They practice everywhere. Okay, so the first thing to become a good doctor is practice. Practice. Exercise your faith. Number two, build relationship. Learn to be more like a family practitioner. Learn to be more like a general practitioner, family doctor. See, while some diagnosis is a one-time deal, when pa- more often than not, patients have to come in multiple times. And as doctors, we have to build relationship. Um, remember when I told you guys about the lady with the tumor? So they had done a one-time test, which was the x-ray. You know what the x-ray? It didn't show that tumor that was hidden. Sometimes we have to go beyond a one-time test. It's not always just a one-time healing. It may take conversation. It may take follow-up. It may take referral, prescription, consultation. You know, some of you guys are probably thinking in your head, how does this, what does this mean for me as a Christian, though? You know, okay, follow up, sure. Call them if they're not well. What about referral? Hey, you're not doing well at this church. It's not vibing for you. You know what? Hearing your symptoms, I know a friend that goes to Jubilee. I feel like that would be a great place for you according to what you've told me. Referral. You have pain in your knee? Let me pray for you. It's not better? You know what? Hang on. I have a sister that just experienced healing with that same exact pain. Can I refer, can she try praying for you? Referral. Prescription. I'm addicted to cigarettes still. I haven't been able to come out. You know what? Can I prescribe you my phone number? I'm willing. Whenever. Oh, that sounded bad. It's a girl. It's a girl. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Let me finish, okay? What, What else can I say? Let me prescribe my... Facebook. Oh, no, no. Anyways, what I mean is give me a call when you're struggling. I'm willing to keep you accountable. Okay, relationship. You need to be ready to practice, not just one time, but see to it multiple times. See, I really think that the best doctors are those who build relationship. I told you guys about my accident. I went through so many doctors. You know, when when you have brain damage, everything's wrong. That's why it's so important to protect your head. Because when you have brain damage, you, it, it affects your motor skills. It affects your ears. It affects everything about you. And so I went to every single doctor known to man. And uh, my most favorite doctor, I, I hated them all, okay? I hated them all. But there was one doctor that I really loved. And she was my physical therapist. And it was because I went into her practice three times a week, not just, you know, once a month. I went into her practice, her, her practice three times a week. And every time she saw me, she sought to build relationship. You know, she would, right when I got in, she'd say, I love your nails, girl. You know, she didn't see me as a patient. She saw me as one of her girlfriends. And she knew that's what I needed at that time. You know, she, she, judging from our conversation, she knew how important my, my outer appearance was. And she would always be like, you look so pretty today. You know, I know I don't. I just got hit by a car. Like, <laughs> you know. But you know what? That ministered to my soul. <laughs> and I, you know, every week I was so excited. I was so excited to go to her, to get ministered by her. 
you know, because I lost all my neck muscles, so she had to do all these really dumb little exercises with me to regain my neck muscles, and so it took a really long time, but I love her because she sought to build relationship with me, and because of that, she had access to healing me, not just my neck, but also inside, in my mind, my body, and my soul. You know, another way that we can seek to build relationship is to visit our patients. Visit our patients. Sick people aren't just located in the hospitals, right? They're not. Sick people are not just in the hospital. And again, just like I said, the hospital is not only the church. For some people, uh, their hospital may be their workplace. Their hospital may be their families. You know, their hospital may even be the street. You know, when I did homeless ministry back in the day, uh, I used to, every Saturday, I would go out to the street without fail. And there was this one lady, her name was Maria, and I loved her. I loved her. And on Saturday, if she was willing, okay, through our conversation, she's like, oh, I want to go to church with you. Without fail, every Sunday, I'd wake up three hours early, drive out, and try to find her near the train tracks. And sometimes I would find her, sometimes I wouldn't. I think I was able to bring her to church only one time. But the... Sometimes when I would find her, she'd be so drunk off her butt that I couldn't even get her into my car. And so what happens in that, at that moment? Do I force her into my car so I can bring her to church? No. What happens? The hospital, the street becomes my hospital. The street becomes where I practice. That's when I get out of my car and I say, hey, what's going on? Can I pray for you? What are you experiencing? And she, when you get out of your car and you kneel down, she told me, I, w- I was trying to get some cocaine and I got raped. I'm hurting. Can you please pray for me? Are you going to miss out on that kind of ministry just for the sake of bringing someone to church? A hospital is not just the church. It can be anywhere. See, it's actually very selfish to try to get them to just come to church. That doesn't take any of your time. You have to be here anyways. <laughs> know what I mean? A good doctor visits his patients in their hospital rooms. I remember being in the hospital room. I remember every single person that came to visit me. And I also remember every single person that did it. <laughs> And you know what? Believer or not, whoever visited me, they, while I'm here on this earth, they're my friends. I don't care what they do. I don't care how much of a sinner they are. They came to visit me when I was in my darkest time. They were light to me. They're my friends. I hope I see them in heaven, but not yet, okay? See, you carry a light when you go out. When we come here, it's so bright. Right? Every one of you guys are full of light. And so when we come into the church, it's almost blinding. But when you go out, you are so bright in darkness. When you visit your patients in their workplace, you guys know. You know, sometimes I see someone at church and nothing happens. Uh, it's nice to see you, but then, you know, you're walking into this. Sometimes you're commuting and you're in rush hour, and then you get hit by Ajima, and then you go out. One time I saw Jane Cho while I was transferring, and I was like, oh, la la, you know, (laughs) Jesus is here. You know what I mean? But normally when I just see our church, sometimes we don't even say hi. Light is so bright when it's outside in the darkness. 
visit your patients. I used to work at a restaurant. When a church member would come in, man, no matter how bad my day is, it just brought so much light into the restaurant. You guys all carry a light. We all carry a light. And we need to go out and share that light. We have to learn to be more like general practitioners or family doctors. Because even when things are well, even when things seem to be well, we still, people still go to family doctors for general checkups. Just to make sure we're healthy. Um, everyone needs a doctor. And um, in our passage, okay, Jesus isn't saying, remember he said it, only the sick need a doctor. The healthy don't. He's not saying if you're healthy, get out. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's, Jesus is always for the sinners. In, uh, in, where am I? In Romans 3.23, it says that all, we are all sinners and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus, he's not saying if you're healthy, get out. He's saying I'm, Jesus is always with the sinners. It's the Pharisees he's concerned about. The people that have forgotten, who think they don't, no longer need a physician. We all need a doctor, and we need to learn to be more like general practitioners. And that will bring me to my last point. You know, I said that we have to make sure that uh, we're healthy by going to general practitioners. Even when everything seems fine, we still want a general checkup, right? Just to make sure everything's okay. The last thing to be a, last advice I want to give you for being a good doctor is to diagnose yourself. Diagnose yourself. Be a good doctor to yourself. Be, that includes knowing when you yourself need to go to the doctor. Isn't that true? We're so quick to tell someone they need to go to a doctor when they're sick. But us ourselves, when we're sick, we're like, I'll be okay. We're so quick to tell people they need to rest. But we ourselves, no, I got too much work. I got to keep going. We're so quick to buy some juke and bring it to someone's house. But when we're sick, it's like, it's okay. I'll just eat whatever's in my house. You know, we have to learn to diagnose ourselves. See, what good is a doctor if he doesn't know how to take care for himself? You know, I think about this a lot earlier. I said, you know, to be a good son is to be a good doctor. And I, I think about, you know, what, how do I become a good son? You know, here at New Philly, we talk about sonship a lot, don't we? I'm a son of this house. I'm a son of PC and PE. I'm a son, ultimately, to God. How, and I, throughout my internship, I've asked myself a lot, how do I become a good son? Now, how can I be a good son? And a lot of times I think, you know, I got to preach better. I got to, you know, step out more in faith. I got to do this. I got to do that. But every time I actually talk to PC and PE, they're never telling me, hey, you know what? When you preach that one time, I feel like you could have done this a little better. It's never that. It's always about my well-being. It's always about my mind. Hey, I'm concerned. I, I want you to learn to strengthen your mind. It's always about how you are doing spiritually, how your spiritual health is. And so I learned, what I learned, the revelation that I got is that to be a good son is to learn to take care of yourself. Learn to feed yourself. You know, smart commenting? Yeah, I struggled with it too, not going to lie. 
But that's actually PCMPE's only way to keep us accountable. Because the number one symptom to know that you're not well is when you have no appetite. When you have no appetite. See, the way to be a good son is to treat yourself well. To learn to love yourself. And that's one way they can make sure that we're still eating well. The way to be a good son, when your spiritual father gives you a prescription, take it. Who, goes, who pays mad money to go to a doctor and then after they give you a prescription and they tell you, hey, after every meal, three times a day. We take it religiously, don't we? Sometimes I'm not even sick anymore. I paid for this. <laughs> you know you all did it before. <laughs> but when our spiritual parents give us a prescription, we got to follow it. That's one way to be a good son. And why? Because it's for our well-being. It's not for them. And just like a good son needs to take care of himself, so does a good doctor. You know, earlier I said that our parents, they want us to be good doctors, right? But if your health is jeopardized, if your health is compromised, do you think your parents would be like, no, you still got to be a good doctor, be a good doctor? No. You know, I took a Korean class uh, back in the day, and I remember we had to do a drama. And I was, I was the mom. <laughs> and I had a son, and I remember still this day, this line. She said to him, 아, 아무래도 건강이 제일이지요. That means no matter what, your health is most important. Okay. You know, I'm a, I'm a grandma's girl. I'm a, both my parents work, so my grandma took care of me a lot. And she's, she's a very wise woman. She always tries to teach me a lot. But one thing she said, you know, till the, like, she teach me everything. But she said, till the day I die, if I die, the only thing that I really care about that you learn is to love yourself. That you would take care of yourself. Because what pains me the most is when I see you not taking care of yourself. If you don't know how to take care of yourself, I've taught you nothing. And I feel like this embodies God's heart in many ways. That God, he prescribes himself to us, and he calls us to prescribe himself to others, not because he's self-centered, not because he's selfish and wants us to himself, but because he knows that he is good for us. We need to be good doctors to ourselves and not be like the Pharisees who have decided they're no longer in need of any physician. The key to our continual healing is our ability to diagnose ourselves, keep ourselves healthy by knowing that we are still in a need of a great physician. I'm going to close with this. Doctors in this world, I said that they are servants of life. But if we diagnose sickness, in the same way as doctors, a lack of joy would mean depression. A lack of peace would mean anxiety. A lack of patience would mean ADHD. 
A lack of self-control would probably be diagnosed as some sort of obsessive compulsive disorder. And see, while all these disorders, there's medication that can be given to hopefully cure these disorders. But what does Jesus say? He says that when he comes into our lives, when we take this prescription of salvation, he gives us his Holy Spirit. And so when we lack peace, what's one of the fruits of the Spirit? Peace. When we lack joy, what's one of the fruits of the Spirit? Joy. When we lack self-control, self-control. See, this is a guaranteed medication. You know, for me, I was on depression pills. I was on anxiety pills. I was on anti-seizure pills. I was on depression pills. And I remember just every night when, when it worked, it was great. When it didn't, oh, man. I was so hopeless. And I remember one night in my room when I laid wide awake, I was like, this life, not worth living. This medication, not working anymore. And I remember my friend, she had left, uh, actually it was this Bible. She left this Bible in my room. And thank God that, you know, I don't know why the New Testament is located like three-fourths into the book. It's so confusing. But at least the Psalms is right smack in the middle. And a lot of people, when they don't know about a book, they open it right in the middle to just see what the font looks like. <laughs> and that's what I did, and I landed right into the Psalms. And I remember as I was reading, you know, oh, Lord, my soul. Oh, man, I'm, I feel so anxious. And I was reading line after line. I felt like God knew my exact symptoms. He was reading the symptoms off my heart. I didn't even have to tell him anything. And I knew, I knew that if he could diagnose me without me even talking, his diagnosis was correct. He knew my sickness. And if my sickness, he was able to diagnose, he had the solution. He had the cure. And that cure was my salvation. And it wasn't until I gave my life at that moment that I experienced true healing. And after that, I couldn't wait couldn't wait to go on and tell my friends about this medication. I was like, wow, I'm whole. Look at me. You know, our call, when Jesus explained why he was dwelling with sinners and tax collectors, this was not permission for us to blend into the world, but it was a mandate for us to go out into the world as physicians filled with his healing anointing. Amen? All right, why don't you guys bow your heads in prayer with me? And with your eyes closed, before I start praying, I know that there's just a few people in here where you have just tried everything. You've gone to doctors. You've gone to psychiatrists. You've tried everything. You've been on all the medication. But you have never tried this prescription of salvation. Everyone told you something was wrong with you. You knew it yourself. You think something's wrong with me. Why am I so antisocial? It must be a disease. Why am I so stressed all the time? It must be some kind of anxiety disease there must be some type of sickness wrong with me but you've gone to doctors 
You've taken the medication. It's not working. For some of you, you've experienced salvation, but you thought, I'm good. I'm no longer in need of a physician. You've been struggling on your own, and you have not come to seek the physicians that are located in this church. And I really want to invite those people after the service. Not now. God's speaking to you. After the service, come up to the stage. Receive that salvation if that's you. Come up to the stage. Receive that consultation. Receive the prescription. It's free. See, when we worry about going to the doctor, the first thing we think about is money. It's free here. And if you've tried everything and you're still in that same place, I want to invite you guys after the service to come up and receive prayer, receive consultation, receive referral, receive healing from the physicians of this house. God, I pray today that the revelation of your saints as physicians would go out. Lord, that when we dwell with the sick, God, we would not merely become as one of them, but we would realize, Lord, that we carry an anointing to be like you, to heal through power and relationship. God, all the while realizing, Lord, our great need for you as our ultimate physician. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd all rise.